It is our last week on Song of Songs, 13 weeks. And I don't know about you, but I can certainly say that after this series, which took great courage to choose, I just can't quite see Christ the same way again or experience life without a much deeper sense of his love. And uh, I want to try and do two things this morning. I want to wrap up this book by using our last text that we have as almost a reminiscing, uh, a re-expression of these themes. Because as we work through, again, it's a very difficult chapter. This is probably the hardest in Song of Songs. And I've gotten a lot of help again from a guy called Michael Eaton. But once you see the light of God's Spirit shining upon the words, the application is very easy, very simple, very sweet, but life-changing. And, and as we read it, I want to remind you, we are looking at certain photographs or sketches, and this book is landing, and the sketches are almost uh, moments that remind us of what we've learned throughout this book. And I do encourage you, church, this is a book which you will not likely ever hear again in your lifetime. And I hope that you will go back to these sermons and listen to them, because if there is one place in Scripture I have found a refuge from a very difficult and troubling wilderness of this world, it has been this book. So let's read together from chapter 8, verse 6. This is the lady speaking, and she is expressing something remarkable here. She says to her shepherd king, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. The capital letters is Yahweh, the covenantal God of Israel. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. And then there's a group of others that have been observing the story, and they are brothers that have a very little sister. She hasn't come of marriage age yet. She um, can't reproduce yet, which was the time when they were, a, a young girl was ready to be married. And they say this in verse 8, We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. That's our fourth photograph. And our last photograph or sketch today is, oh, sorry, she's not finished replying to that yet. She says, I was a wall and my breasts were like towers. And I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. And the last sketch is around a vineyard. And it says, Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring, him, bring for its fruits a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand, and the keepers of the fruit two hundred. Then he replies, O you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. And then this is the strange ending where she says, Make haste, my beloved. And be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. I want to remind us 
that although this is a difficult last poem, the sixth poem of Song of Songs, it has a logical sequence. The first picture last week we saw was of her leaning on her beloved in the wilderness, and we said that's what it's like to walk through this life. We walk by faith, right? Not by sight. We lean on Jesus in prayer and dependency and delight and desire. And that's how faith feels for the Christian, is we lean on him. The second picture is that she takes the initiative to wake up her beloved. He is sleeping on an apple tree, and rather than just letting him sleep there and she admiring him, she takes the initiative to wake him and say, I need you. I need you to be awake for me. And uh, it's a sign of how at times we can take the initiative in prayer and we wake up in a sense in human language, Jesus. We take our desire like we did this morning. We ask, we seek, we knock because we have boldness to come wide. That was in the third sketch last week where we saw how there was a parabolical moment where she says, Let me take you to the place of your birth under this apple tree where she expresses her love for him. And we said, she has such boldness because she realizes him marrying her is the fulfillment of why he was born. And can I say, why do we have boldness to come to Jesus as Christians? Because that's why he came. He was born. He was called Emmanuel, God, with us. And when you come to him with your life to say, I am drawing close to you, what you are giving To him is the very reason why he came. It is the will of heaven for you. And the will is so massive that Jesus came as the incarnate son of God for you to be close to him. And so when you decide in your life to take seriously the words of Song of Songs, what you'll begin to experience is heaven will back you. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful that you will experience help in your life to get to know this Jesus because you are giving him what he was born for. And this church makes her bold. Can I tell you, how do you know, again, whether or not you believe that Jesus loves you is you will see it in how bold you are to come close to him. Now just think about that for a moment. I would argue the reason why you linger in the shadows of shame or in the shadows of self is because you don't really believe you can come. And I want to point out my first point that Christ's love calls for a response. Between this third sketch and this fourth sketch, there is a gap where we pause to see that this realization of her giving herself to him is the fulfillment of his very life, being, of his very birth, makes her very bold. She says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. Now, you might be thinking, what on earth does that mean? Friends, her request is saying she wants to be like a seal around her beloved's neck or on his finger. An arm, you can say, consider around the arm is actually, you can say, around the finger. A seal in the Middle Eastern times, ancient East, was very precious. It was like your credit card or your your debit card. If you lost that seal, anybody could operate in your name, right? Anybody lost their credit card and freaked out? Because somebody might just do something. And that's what a seal was like, is you would take a piece of clay and on something, on a possession that was very important or on a document that you are signing, Matt Johnson, you would take wet clay and you would stamp that seal onto it and people would know if it had your seal on, it was true. If that possession had your seal, it was yours. You couldn't touch it. And what she is saying is she's saying, 
and remember, you could hang that, that seal around your neck. In other words, it was close to your heart or it was on your finger. That means everything that you were practically doing or actioning in your day, you would remember that the seal was on your finger. And what she is saying is, it is a very bold prayer. She said, would you take my life and would you stamp it with your seal? Would you set your seal upon it? In other words, what she's on, it is, a, it is a powerful prayer, church. And I don't know if you've ever had the guts to pray. And I would argue, unless you really believe Jesus is good, that he's going to be good to you, that he's going to be faithful to you, that he's going to be a good, loving husband, shepherd king, you won't do it. What she's saying, she's so confident of his love for her that she can say, here's my life. That's the right outcome of Song of Songs. Here is my life. Would you put your seal upon me? Would you take every part of me, my speech, my mind, my, my hands, my heart, my life, my right response to this lavish love that you've poured on me is to say, have all of me. And in a precious way, she's saying, I'm giving myself to you. Why? Not in some random way as a servant or a slave, but as a seal where on your heart, in your emotions, and in your love for me, in, my, in your affection, in the seat of your will, your affection is a, would you love me as your own? It is powerful. She has reached the heights of saying, my whole life is yours. And what she wants is to be on his mind and his heart. And what she wants is to be on his hands. That as he's working his kingdom out, as he's working out his life, she's precious to him. Now, I don't know about you this morning, but that melts my heart. Because, friends, do you know this was a request in the Old Testament fulfilled in the New? Do you know that Jesus, as your high priest thinks about you all the time. Wow. You are not an afterthought to Christ. Whilst you're sleeping, he sees your dreams. Whilst you wake up, he sees what's on your heart. And the reason why we know that is because he prays for you every second of every hour of every day. And as he prays for you, he prays about the details of your life. He thinks about the thing that you're going to face in the office. He thinks about how you're going with your kids. He thinks about how, and he prays. He's invested. He says, God, the Father, please, would you so come with your grace? Would you come with your spirit? Would you remind them of that scripture by your spirit? Would you come around? Would you sustain? And friends, the reason why Paul could say he is going to complete the good work he started in you, the reason why Jude can say that in him you cannot fall is because ultimately the one who is bearing you up on in his heart and in his will, but also in the power of his hands, is your very name, is you. Do you know, in, in Isaiah, it says your name is graven on his hands. How does that make you feel towards this Jesus? I just have to ask you a question this morning. How do you feel about Jesus? Because the right response of believing the Song of Songs is to have your heart melted by his love that when you see him, you feel safe. When you hear his name, it's not one of guilt, it is one of hope and refuge. When you sense his spirit in the room, it is not one of withdrawal. It is one of affirmation. And church, I don't know yet if you believe this book. Because the one who believes it 
can't stay away from the one who is saying it to you. The one who believes his eyes are shining with the joy to be loved completely. This is not a duty for this girl. This is not something that they, she needs to get right in order to feel good about herself. Friends, she's done nothing to deserve this. Nor have you, except he has come to her and said, I want you. And she's believed it, not just believed it in her head, but to the point that her heart is overflowing with a boldness to enjoy this Jesus. Do you enjoy him this morning? My heart is so full of a desire for you to grab what is on offer. But some of us are staying away because you think, oh, this is just nice and this is just sentimental and this isn't for me. Can I ask you a question this morning? It has been on my mind this week and it has drawn me to ask you, when someone says, I love you, what is the right response? Is it to go, oh, that's nice. Let me tell you, the first time I said, I love you to my wife, if she had gone, that's nice. If she had gone, dead silence. How do you think I would have felt? Friends, when someone says, I love you, they want a response. So. They want you to say, I love you. I love you too. That is the work of the Spirit in the heart of a believer towards Christ. When last have you felt love for this Jesus? Because you've believed how much he's loved you. That's the greatness of this book. And you might laugh and say, oh, this is funny. Can I say to you, you will go nowhere. Nowhere. You will never. Why? You will never be able to say to Jesus, take all my life if you don't believe he loves you. Can I let you into a little word of testimony in my own life? It has only been through this book where the first time I can feel safe to say to Christ, you can have me. Because up until this book, I didn't really believe that saying that would not lead to joy or would lead to joy. It would lead to pain. Friends, I want to ask you this morning, Again, in this major theme of this book, do you believe Christ loves you to the point that you feel it in your heart and you respond appropriately and you say to him, oh, I love you too. My life is yours. <laughs> you see, she can say, this love is as strong as death. Can any of you escape death here today? Any of you cheat death? Trust me, as a pharmacist, it's impossible. And you know what's amazing about the love of Jesus? You can't escape the love of Christ either. When he says, she says, I know this love. It's as strong as death. It means nobody is going to escape it. And, 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 and if you are in Christ this morning, my friend, you cannot escape the love of Jesus. Praise God. Amen. It is as jealousy as fierce as the grave. Do you know what death is like? It is unyielding. Any of you gone back to a tomb or a, a gravestone to celebrate an anniversary of someone's death and all of a sudden that grave vomited out the person? Let me tell you, are they still in that grave? 
Has death released that body? Do you know what Jesus' love is like? It's not only inescapable. It is unyielding. It means he's not going to give you up for anything. It doesn't matter how far you go. It doesn't matter what you do, friends. The love of Christ has decided before the beginning of time. It wants you. And just as the grave will not yield a body, nor will Christ yield you. He goes on to, she goes on to say, his love, it's flashes of flashes of fire, the very flame of Yahweh. This is a divine jealousy. That's why I say this book is not merely between a lover and her husband. It is between something that is much higher in its symbolism between the believer, between the church and Christ. Because it says, it's like the very flame of Yahweh. Do you know what this amazing love is like of Jesus? It is so jealous. And it's not a jealousy that oppresses you like fallen human jealousies. Like it is a divine jealousy that is protective. It is overruling. It is, a, it is a possessive love. This is not merely you trying to make this happen. This is him going after you. And it is a burning passion. It's a flame that cannot be extinguished in Christ's heart towards you. In verse 8 of chapter 8, isn't it, verse 7 of chapter 8, isn't it beautiful? It says, many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. Whenever the Bible talks about rapid waters, it talks about trouble. In Daniel, those beasts come out of raging seas. And that's why in heaven, when, when you see the throne, the, the, the sea is like glass because it's under the authority of this God of heaven and it's peaceful. But the point is this. I want to ask you a question. Do you bring a lot of trouble into Jesus' life? Do you? Are you an easy person to love? Are you so great in your prayer life and in your goodness that when Christ sees you, he goes, oh, thank you for that one. At least that one's fine. Do you know the day, the day he saved you, he said, I'm accepting the trouble you're going to give me. You know what he says? He says, bring it on. All of these waves of trouble that these guys are going to bring me and that I have to face with them will never extinguish my love for them. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that make you feel safe? Doesn't that make you feel glorious? Trust me, I know what it's like to give Christ trouble and for him to say, no matter the, 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 the masses of floods of water, it's never going to drown it. I tell you, when I read these words and believe them, I go, praise you, Jesus. I'm so thankful. And it cannot be bought, friends. And this is where some of us struggle. It says in verse 7 of chapter 8, if a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. You might be thinking, again, in this book of, of Song of Songs, and unless you ask the question, you really haven't understood its message. You might be saying to yourself, oh, this is too good to be true. Surely there are some conditions. We've just signed a big contract this week. I tell you, I try to read all the fine print, right? Because when I sign my name, I realize I'm going to be legally bound to this contract. And if I don't understand what I'm signing up for, oh, well, then I'm not willing to sign it. But friends, do you know that the reason why she lands in verse 7 is to put to silence any kind of effort to earn this love, any kind of performance-based conditional covenant. She says, if you try and offer to God a wage for his love, you will be utterly despised. It's the gospel being preached to you. If you will say to Christ, I will take you, but on terms of how well I'm doing, and you reject his unconditional love towards you, which is the good news of the gospel, what you are doing is the very opposite of the heart of Song of Songs. You are saying, oh, well, I'm, con I'm accepting a conditional clause in this agreement, 
And let me tell you something. The joy of this gospel is God will either love you totally or not love you at all. And praise God, it's the first one. You see, we forget. We tend to think we came to know Christ through a decision where one day someone came to tell us about Jesus and we put up our hand and we got saved. And we think that was the start of where it all happened. Do you know that in Ephesians chapter 1, it says before the foundation of the world, he set his love on you. In love, he adopted you. And this love has eternally unfolded through all the centuries until the day of your birth, until the moment of when the Spirit shone upon your heart to see Christ and you got the gift of faith and in that second of believing you became a child of God. We think that it was an afterthought that somehow we managed to just get in. Not so. Let me tell you, the glory of the gospel is he had his eye on you before the foundation of the world. Now I ask you this morning, don't you think a life, please listen to me, give me your full attention, don't you think a life meditating on these truths will be a life that is full of joy? Don't you think a life that meditates on this love of Jesus when facing trials will be a life of peace? Don't you think a life that meditates on the reality of Christ's love for you will be a life of safety? Don't you think that meditating on these thoughts about Jesus makes it easier, not necessarily easier, to trust Jesus with every part of your life? Is it not so? That's how we live. And we will not get to that point of experiencing the fullness of joy and the blessing of what it means to have a life surrendered to this King of kings and Lord of lords any other way. And it's for each of us this morning, you see, because ultimately God wants us to grow. There is this moment in, in verse 8 and 9 where there's this undeveloped little girl. She's not ready to be married yet. She can't bear children. She hasn't sexually developed. That's the point. That's the only way they could measure it in the Middle East. They had no blood tests. It was through her womanly development. And this mature bride. And the point is this. The brothers ask, how do we help our little girl, our little sister, become ready for the glorious marriage that you have? We want the honor you've received, Shulamite, to be her honor. And the point is this. It's a question of going, How? Do we make sure that this little girl is preserved for honor in marriage? It's the same for us here today. It's the deep question is how are we going to grow in Christ until the day of that wedding feast when we stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the consummation of all things? How do we make it so that we move from this immaturity to this maturity? And friends, she says some powerful things because the life of the believer is just a little baby at the start. And the big question is, how are you and me going to grow in Christ to reach a place of honor? And she gives some powerful advice. She says, first of all, you're either going to be a wall or you're going to be a door. There's a big difference. I ask you this morning, in your love for Jesus, are you a wall? Your life a wall? Or are you a door? 
she says, if you are going to grow in your maturity and reach the honor of that day when we stand before Jesus, is you have to guard your life as a wall for this beloved, this Jesus Christ. We are not to be a door which is wide open for any thought, any affection, any object, anything to come strolling in as an intruder. She says, if you are going to grow in your maturity and reach the honor of the consummation of marriage, if the believer is going to move from a mere infant in Christ to someone who receives their full reward and inheritance, remember inheritance means you've come of age, you've matured, you've reached the heights of what you were destined and born for, friends, and that's entering into what your Father's will is for you, then you'll have to be a wall. Can I ask you today, how permeable are you in your life to the things of this world? You see, they say, if she becomes a door, we'll have to barge her up. There's going to have to be some form of restraint. And wood, friend, is not nearly as nice as silver. If she's a wall, they'll build silver battlements, which means she'll be honored that when you look upon her as a city, you will see this glorious, shining silver, the wealth and prestige of being one honored by the shepherd king. Friends, it's the same for you today. The reason why Song of Songs matters is because God wants you to come to maturity. And unless you do, you will forego glory. You will forego honor in that day when you stand before your shepherd, King Jesus. And so I ask you, is there any intruder in your life this morning? What do you allow to come into your mind and into your heart and into your life? Is there a relationship that is competing with your ultimate affection for Christ? Is there a need for comfort? Do you believe, this is my challenge this morning, do I believe and do you believe that watching Netflix all the time is as good as being just a few more minutes closer to Jesus? Uh, that's what God said to me this week. Matthew, do you honestly think that two hours of Netflix, you might be very tired, but night after night after night, are you as strong when you're as close to me as when you are in imbibing all of these things that are, are distracting you. They have their place, but they're ultimately distracting you for what it means to be close. Friends, if we are going to reach maturity, we have to be like a wall, a battlement that guards our hearts, minds, body, soul, and spirit for Jesus. What is invading your life that is affecting fellowship with him? That's something we must ask this morning. And if we will address it, God says we're going to grow. We're going to grow. We will receive battlements of silver, not wood that's going to be burnt up even though it's cedar. And then I'm going to rush through my third point because it's just a follow-on. That's the fourth sketch of this wall and battlement. The fifth sketch is one of a vineyard. And I want to land on this today. There is a comparison. Historically speaking, Solomon had a beautiful vineyard. It was worth a lot of money, 13 kilograms of silver to rent out a year so you could produce its wine, its, its grapes. But she's got her little vineyard. <laughs> you can pick it up. It's her very own. And she hasn't looked after it very well in uh, chapter 1, verse 6. But the point is, he's got this big responsibility, this king. She's got her little responsibility. And the Hebrew comes through. I won't go into detail, but the Hebrew says, there it is for her to use. She has to garden this garden as part of her responsibility in his kingdom. And friends, we are not going to grow unless we realize that we have a responsibility to garden our lives for the shepherd king well. Can I read what Michael Eaton says here? And I'll quote him and then move on because he does it so beautifully. 
This is what he says. He says, his vineyard is himself or herself. We have to watch ourselves pulling up weeds, sowing seeds, watching over little foxes. The weeds are sins and obstacles that stand in the way of the love of God. The seeds are the prayers and small acts of obedience that will produce fruit in our lives. The little foxes, to use the language of 2.15, are the habits that destroy the fruit or the people who damage the fruit. This taking of responsibility is part of our call to respond to Christ's love. And the fourth is this, is there's a moment where <laughs> she likes to talk to her friends a lot. Any of you like that? She likes to talk in this garden. In verse 13, he says to her, Oh, you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. He wants to hear it too. Can I say in this next theme, so the theme one is, is, is we, Christ's love calls for a response. It's a boldness of saying we love him back. We move towards him. We be close. Secondly, the great theme, if I can remember it, even after preaching it this morning, is Christ's love calls for growth. Love makes us flourish. That means we are also to take responsibility. It's not automatic. This girl has to go to be ready for marriage. The same for us. We want to be ready for that marriage day. It, it requires personal responsibility. But then my fourth point today is it requires us to talk to the shepherd king a lot. Can I say to you the highest way that these two express their love for each other is they talk. They talk a lot. And can I just put it out there this morning, the secret to love and intimacy with Jesus is to talk to him, not just through your day, but he wants time as well. He says, these friends get to have great coffee dates with you. I want a coffee date too. Any of you like me that tend to pick up the phone and speak to a friend first before Christ? Friends, can I say to you, there's something to be discovered in prayer. We haven't had an opportunity to preach on it through this book, but hopefully we'll in the future, is you talk to Jesus. And, and Eton is right. He so challenged me. He says, you set time aside every day where Jesus gets to have just you, not shared, and you'll grow. That's a call for Christ's love is to set aside time to talk to him. And the last is this, is the fifth is Christ's love calls us to be ready for the second coming. You know, when I read these last words, I thought this isn't how a love story ends. It says, make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Surely, the way it should end is happily ever after, right? That's how all the great love stories end, is me and my bow, a living life happily ever after. Not so, but yet it ends with an absence of him and an anticipation for him to come again. And I had to ask myself the question, why on earth would this Song of Songs end on this? Because friends, this is what I want to leave you today. And if it's the one thing you remember, it will do you well. Is the reason why this book matters and our believing his love leading to us drawing very close to him and staying there, which enables us to grow, which enables us to mature, which helps us speak to him open-heartedly and frequently. When you know someone is willing to listen, it makes you willing to speak, not so? Ah, but then this is it is because all of this of what we're doing in this life is going to become a reality in the next. Amen. Why does this matter more than your work and your hobbies, than your marriage and your business and your money and your retirement schemes? Why does this relationship with Jesus matter? 
Why is it the most important thing in your life? Because, friends, that is going to be your reality for eternity. And foolish is the man or woman, not so? That doesn't remember that this life of faith is rewarded with a life of sight. We don't live by sight yet. Oh, but praise God, there's going to come a day when all of our time set aside, which is costly, all of our money set aside for the kingdom, all of our guarding our, our mouths and guarding our minds and guarding our hearts so that Christ will be pleased. All of this work, all of this song of songs, this glorious book is but a foretaste and training of what we are going to be rewarded for and enjoy forever. And when that becomes in your heart the parting shot of Song of Songs, you start to realize something very, very important. You start to realize what truly matters in this life. It's not this eking my way through the wilderness, trying to suck from the cactus and get, get, trying to find that rock and find, oh, look, I found another rock. Trying to hoard our rocks from the world, trying to pile up our sand. Friends, what can a desert offer you in comparison to this coming city of Jerusalem, to the glory of the Lord coming down upon the same. And it might come sooner than you think. You say, why is there such an urgency in Song of Songs to do this? Because he could come tonight. He could come tomorrow. Why do we face down sin? Why do we resist the flesh, the world, the devil? Why do we make these decisions in our hearts to go after Christ? Because it could be any moment when we're going to see him. And let me tell you, there'll be one thing you will not regret on that day. How you have loved and lived for him. This is the reality, church. You know, just as she says, come, come, my lover, come, my husband, come, my shepherd king. You know how Revelations ends? It's beautiful in 20 verse 20, 22 verse 20, 21. This is how Revelation says, Jesus, who testifies to these things, says, surely I am coming soon. And John replies on our behalf, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. This is the reality of what we get to do every day is to live in a way that's giving us a foretaste of what we are going to enjoy forever. And I ask, if that is on your heart as you leave today, won't it change the way you make your decisions in your life? Doesn't it make you want to be a wall, secure in your heart towards Jesus rather than an open door for the world to come in and rob you of what will be eternally rewarded on that day? Doesn't it make all that you offer to Christ and your faith towards him meaningful? Because death for the believer, friends, is just one step closer to Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the nearness of your presence through this book. 
And Lord, it's, it's a presence that can be both comforting but also alarming because it opens up our eyes to see what really matters. And Lord, I pray this morning as we get to evaluate our hearts before you, would you shine the light of your grace into every corner? And as we leave today, would there be a fresh call this week again to come? Lord, many are the troubles of this life, but Lord, you've overcome them all. Lord, they do not matter in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing you. And they do not compare to the glory that is going to be revealed in us. Lord, I pray, would you help us love you rightly? Would you lead us in these days ahead? Would you seal this book in our hearts? That we would be careful, diligent, conscientious in our love towards you. That's the right response to a Savior that has so extravagantly loved us. Come, Lord, help us as a congregation be able to say to you this morning, take us all, every part. Set my life as a seal, close to your heart, upon your hand. That's the right response, is to yield totally to you afresh. Help us, Lord, we pray. Might the reality of your coming be very close to us as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. I would advise, if the Lord has spoken to you, to take a moment to let it settle in your hearts and then enjoy some time afterwards. Thank you so much.